0: Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host, Narad Muni, and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are talking about Parshuram's origin story. I have had a listener specifically request this story. So here we are. First of all, I should mention who Parshuram is. He is an avatar of Vishnu. But there are some unique things about this particular avatar. Parshuram is the only avatar of Vishnu who is a Chiranjeevi. And that means he is immortal. Yes, he is alive today. In fact, I just had lunch with him last week. Obviously, I can't reveal where he is. He likes his peace and quiet. He is meditating someplace secret he's waiting because he has a major role to play in the future i'll come to that part later let's start with a little family history and we'll see what made parshiram parshiram it all starts with my father yes my father is usually at the beginning of every story it's hard to avoid that if you have single-handedly created the universe. You see, my father is Brahma, the creator in the Holy Trinity, together with Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Besides myself, Brahma also created a bunch of other people. One of them was Bhrigu, from whom Parshuram was descended. So that means in a way, I am Parshuram's great-great-uncle or something. I often kid him about it. Anyway, back to the story, which begins with the Rishi Richika. Richika had married Satyavati, who was a princess. This is not the same Satyavati whom we met in the Mahabharata episodes. It was probably a common name back then. Open any class register in any school and chances are you'd find a couple of Satyavatis in the list. There is a little anecdote of Satyavati's father's conversation with Richika. King Gadhi really did not want his daughter to marry this financially challenged Rishi. So what if Richika was spiritually rich? But... Gadhi did not have the guts to say it outright. It might anger Richika and bring down a curse upon himself. The way out was to set an impossible task for Richika as a condition for the marriage. So he asked the Rishi, I have no objections to the marriage, he said, even though he certainly had. As a show of good faith, can you get me some horses? He was certain that there was no way Richika could get them at short notice. But Richika was quick to reply that, sure, no problem. Gadi was surprised, but proceeded cautiously. I don't want toy horses. I want real, living, breathing, statuesque horses. No problem, said Richika again. How many do you need? Uh, a hundred, replied Gadhi. And seeing Richika's confident smile, quickly added, No, did I say a hundred? I meant a thousand. Richika was still confident. Sure. Any other specifications? Gadi was getting desperate now, as he realized that somehow Richika could in fact deliver those horses. He decided to up the stakes. I want them all to be white, but with black ears. I want the first one to have purple eyes and a mole on his right foreleg. I want the second one to have a green tail and an orange mane. On the third one, and he went on and on and on. Several boring hours later, when Gadhi had concluded his list, Richika simply closed his eyes and prayed to Varun. Varun, the god of the sea, was glad to help out. And these were not seahorses. They were real horses exactly according to Gadhi's specifications. Gadhi had no choice. He had to let his daughter Satyavati marry Richika. In contrast with her namesake from the Mahabharat, who married into royalty, the Satyavati from today's story had married out of it. After her marriage to Richika, She went to live with him in his humble little home, not the other way around. Nevertheless, she kept in touch with her parents. Even more so after it turned out that Satyavati and her mom were bump buddies. Yes, they were both expecting a child about the same time. And if you're wondering, yes there was a very real possibility that Satyavati's child would actually be older than his or her uncle or aunt. One day, Satyavati asked Richika to work his magic. He clearly could manage to pull a thousand horses out of thin air. Surely, that meant he could also do other kinds of magic, like ensuring that their child had certain positive characteristics. I don't see that connection, said Rechika. What does procuring horses have to do with how children turn out? But as it happens, I do have just the solution for that. I'll make some porridge for you. If you drink it, Our child will become one of the smartest people around. Interesting, Satyavati said. That definitely settles the nature versus nurture debate. But will you be a dear and make some for mom too? I don't see why I should do anything for my mother-in-law. It's not like she's nice to me or anything. I'm letting her stay here, During her pregnancy, isn't that enough? But Satyavati pleaded with Richika until finally he gave in. But he made two different porridges. You might wonder, why make two? Instead of just making double the quantity of the same thing. The answer is that they were made with two different recipes. Satyavati's mom was the queen, and what she needed was a child who was naturally belligerent, a good warrior-like quality for a prince to have. But Rechika and Satyavati's son needed to be smart, knowledgeable, and patient. That made sense, and everything would have been fine if it had gone to plan. But it did not. Satyavati's mom, in a very unguestlike like manner, did not simply accept the porridge that was given to her. She was sure that Richika had reserved the best for his own wife. And so, she secretly switched her porridge with Satyavati's. But... It's nearly impossible to trick a rishi who has magic on his side. Rechika realized what had happened. But when he sought to intervene, he discovered that the ladies had already finished their porridge. This was worse than if he hadn't intervened in the first place. Who wanted to deal with a rishi who would constantly challenge people to a duel instead of teaching them new bits of knowledge? And who wanted a calm king who was all too eager to brush off the welcome mat for invaders instead of fighting them? He looked up books in his library all night until finally he found a solution. Kind of. One advantage of this was that he could carry out his solution without the intervention or even knowledge of his mother-in-law. It was a quick ritual, so he completed it right then and there. Effectively, he had transferred the attributes from one fetus to another. Somehow, he was able to extract the belligerence from his own unborn son and stockpile it for his unborn son's unborn son, effectively his grandson. And that grandson would be Parshiram. Richika also transferred some scholarly attributes from his mother-in-law's unborn son to his own child. So his own son, Jamadagni, would become a very famous rishi. Jamadagni was later in fact part of the seven rishis, or Saptarishi, or Great Bear, or Ursa Major constellation. But there was a bit of a residual effect in Satyavati's brother when he was born. That child, Satyavati's brother, was Vishwamitra. That explains why he was so belligerent. But later on in life, he also became a rishi. That may have been an effect of the residual attributes that Richika did not completely transfer over. We have encountered Vishwamitra as one of the two warring rishis in episode 15 Rishi versus Rishi, on civil war. But we'll leave Vishwamitra alone and focus back to Jamadagni, who after several years had grown up and married a princess, Renuka, just like his parents before him. The couple had five kids. And yes, just as predicted, the youngest, Parshuram, was a warrior. There's one incident in Jamadagni's life that was to have a huge impact on what is to follow. Jamadagni and Renuka were out for a walk. They were out completely in the open and they had assumed that they had privacy. No one was around for miles, or so they thought. In the middle of the conversation, when Renuka made a joke, they were both shocked to hear a snicker. Jamadagni whirled around and looked everywhere, and finally identified the eavesdropper. It was the sun god, Surya himself. Jamadagni flew into a rage and cursed the sun. Surya! You dare to eavesdrop? I curse you to be hidden from sight. Renuka intervened. No, no. Apocalyptic hellish landscape. No crops, no heat. New ice age and mass extinctions. Pick a different curse. Okay. Then I curse you to be hidden from sight half the time, said Jamadagni. Renuka rolled her eyes. That happens every night, she said. I mean, I curse you to be hidden from sight sometimes during the day. Renuka added, and it happens every time it's cloudy. I mean, I curse you to be hidden from sight sometimes during a cloudless day. That seemed to satisfy Renuka. And that, my dear friends, is why we have solar eclipses. Surya wasn't one to grin and bear it. He was a god after all. He wasn't going to take this nonsense from a mortal, even if it was a Saptarishi. He cursed Jamadagni in turn. Jamadagni? would meet his end at the hands of a king. The rishi was just readying his next curse, and so was Surya. So this was high time for someone to intervene. It was my dad, Brahma, who stepped in. He talked to them both, and ultimately, Jamadagni and Surya walked away from each other not as friends, not even as tolerable acquaintances. But they walked away without any further cursing. Unfortunately for Jamadagni, Surya's curse was soon going to come about. It was a very long chain of events, which started in a very unexpected way. The way it started was with Renuka when she was fetching water one day. You see, Jamadagni had made a magic pot for his wife to fetch water in every day. It looked just like an ordinary clay pot, but it had one special property. If Renuka ever thought of somebody in a immoral way, the pot would disintegrate. So, it was not enough that Jamadagni handed Renuka the task of fetching water every day. He also used his magic to police her thoughts. So one day, when she was at the river filling the pot with water, she saw a passing Gandharva, you know, one of the celestial musicians. Look at the muscles on that guy, she told herself. It was just for a split second. But that was all it took for the magic pot to shatter into thousands of little pieces. Instantly, Jamadagni back home was alerted to what had happened. He was talking to his children at that moment. Maybe his curse-off with Surya had had a dramatic effect on him. But in that moment, Jamadagni did something that was very unwise. He ordered his oldest child to go and punish his mom. Renuka had been fetching water for years in that magic pot, and this was the first time something like this had happened. I was almost inclined to think that it must have been regular wear and tear on the pot. But Jamadagni was completely convinced that she had breached the acceptable level of morality that he had arbitrarily chosen for her. Well, he had been policing her for years, and now he had just played the role of judge and jury as well he ordered his oldest son to be her executioner. No way! Are you crazy, old man? I'm not doing it, replied the oldest. Besides, how do you know it wasn't just like regular wear and tear of the pot? How do you know she actually thought an immoral thought? Not wanting to admit that his work on the pot may have been less than perfect, Jamadagni simply brushed off this possibility. Jamadagni took his son's refusal to follow orders quite calmly and issued the same order to the next child and then the next one. They all refused. Except the fifth and youngest son, Parshuram. Parshuram definitely did not want to commit a crime. But he figured that refusing to obey your father is a worse sin. So, he walked off towards the river with his trademark axe. He returned not long after. One look at his appearance was enough to convince everyone that he had in fact done the deed. Not satisfied with this, Jamadagni next ordered Parshuram to punish his brothers for having refused to obey him. And the punishment was exactly the same as Renuka's. Following a gruesome order a second time was still just as hard as the first time. But Parshuram did it. At which, Jamadagni was pleased with his son's obedience. He may even have let out a whoop of joy. But Parshuram was dead serious. Pun unintended. Jamadagni asked him for a boon. Anything you want, Parshuram. It's yours, he said. Well... There was only one thing that Parshuram wanted more than anything else. Bring back mom and my brothers, he said quickly, before Jamadagni could change his mind. And Jamadagni obliged. Within seconds, Renuka and her other children were back and cleaning themselves up hastily after their gruesome experience. Truth be told, Renuka wasn't even sure what she had done wrong. She was afraid to ask, lest it happen again. But she decided never ever to fetch water from the river again. And Parshuram's brothers, they never put a toe out of line again. So that's Parshuram's origin story. There's a second story as well which starts off remarkably similar to one we have covered before in episode 15. It's still at Jamadagni's home. Jamadagni had a cow, a special cow called Surabhi. She could grant any wish. You wanted a chauffeur Rolls Royce? A Learjet? You wanted the moon? You got it! You only had to whisper it to Surabhi. Surabhi was a gift from Indra, the king of the devs. At this exposition, Renuka looked angrily at her husband and asked, You made me fetch water every day for years when we could have just asked Surabhi? But she was ignored. Jamadagni didn't want to dignify her question with a response. In his eyes, she had fallen terribly low ever since the day she had thought of the Gandharva. It's further proof of his remarkably chauvinistic mentality that he didn't think of that day as the day she was executed or reborn. It was simply the day she had done something wrong. A king... Kartavirya Arjun, not to be confused with the Mahabharata Arjun, was hanging around the forest when he happened on Jamadagni and Renuka's home. They welcomed him in with open arms. It didn't matter that he was a complete stranger. It was just part of the custom. Well, what Kartavirya Arjun did was certainly not part of custom or tradition. He was a guest in their home. But after observing Surabhi's miracles, he decided that he must have her. But he did not accept his host's polite refusal. Instead, he snatched the cow and took her away from the couple. And... He did something worse. He killed Jamadagni. Parshiram was not at home at that moment, or he would have done something. But he did do something the moment he returned. Armed with just a bow and an arrow and his axe, he launched himself on Kartavirya Arjun's huge army, single-handed. As you might expect, it was totally a one-sided affair. But not the outcome you might expect in a fight between one man and 5,000. Parsharam had thoroughly defeated them. And moments later, Kartavirya Arjun was no more. Parsharam returned home but was pleasantly surprised to discover that his father was alive. It was his great-grandfather, the sage, Brigu, who had seen what was happening and quickly intervened to bring Jamadagni back to life. But Jamadagni was not proud of what his son had done. You have killed the king of this land he told his son sternly. Dude, what did you expect? He killed you. He took away Surabhi, replied Parshiram. Despite that, ending a life is a sin, especially that of an administrative head of state. Never mind the anarchy that will follow. Just think about the act itself. Nope, this won't do. You must go undo the damage. Can't you just bring him back to life? asked Parshiram. You seem to be good at that. No, said Jamadagni. He'll just take Surabhi again. Just go pray on a mountaintop or something. That is better. Actually, it was not better. Because while Parshiram was away praying to the gods, Kartavirya Arjun's children decided that revenge was a dish best served warm and toasty and best served when Parshiram was away. They attacked Jamadagni and killed him and this time, Bhrigu was not around to undo the damage. Renuka, who was forced to witness Jamadagni's execution, screamed out loud for Parshuram. But he was way out of earshot. Parshuram did return a year later. If you thought a year of penance would have changed his attitude towards violence, you'd be completely wrong. Parshuram realized, as he heard the story of his father's demise, that he could not accept royalty as a noble thing. He set about systemically ridding the earth of every royal he could find. He did slow down later in life though. Instead of killing kings and princes, he resorted to not teaching them instead. Parshuram played an important role in the Mahabharata, including as Bhishma's teacher. So he seems to have overcome some of his hesitation in teaching royals. There is a bigger role in store for him in the future. He is hanging around waiting to train Kalki. Kalki, if you didn't know, is one of Vishnu's avatars, which has yet to happen. Similar to another avatar of Vishnu, Ram from the Ramayana, There's a strong element of obedience to father's orders in today's story as well. Ram went into exile following Dasharath's orders, even if they were illogical and unfair. Parsharam did the same, but with different consequences. We'll stop here. In the next episode, we have had a listener request stories of Shivaji Maharaj. Shivaji was a real historical king from the 17th century. There are many legends associated with him, and we'll cover some of them. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site, sfipodcast.com, or tweet at SFI podcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. Thanks to all of you listeners for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.